Well, hey, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Ruth chapter 4, and uh, I'll be honest with you, it's good to just say that again. Uh, feel some sense of normalcy there to finish our series today in the book of Ruth. And the thing about it is, for us as a church, one of our pillars is unapologetic preaching. Um, whether we're meeting in a room in a school, whether we're meeting in uh, the worship center of our future church one day, or whether we're sitting in our living room, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to get God's Word in front of us, we're going to open it up, and we're just going to look together at what it says and let God's Word speak for itself. And so we finish our series in the book of Ruth here uh, this morning. And uh, as you turn there, um, I want to just acknowledge that because of the bit of a different format that we have for the teaching time, uh, you're used to for the preaching time. I stand up and preach 40 minutes or so, and uh, you sit there and listen. But we're going to have some opportunities today to stop at certain points in the message for you to discuss, whether you're sitting at home with some family members or some small group family, or uh, even you're just watching this by yourself, you'll have some time to stop and process to talk about some things or to journal some things. And so I'm going to cue us at those points as we come to them. But um, as we get into Ruth chapter four today, I just want to ask you to think about, to start here, uh, some of your favorite books or favorite movies. And uh, my guess is that some of your favorite books, some of your favorite movies have a redemption element in them. Uh, meaning that throughout so much of the story, it looked as if sin was going to win, uh, death was going to win, the pain was going to win, the hardship was going to win. But at a point in uh, the story, there's a turning point or the, the script flips a bit. And out of hopelessness comes hope, out of death comes life, out of pain comes uh, a joy. And we all love a good redemption story. Even if you're kind of like, I, I'm not one of those like feel good movie or feel good book people, you gotta admit, you love a good redemption story. And the only thing better than a book or a movie about redemption is the redemption stories that we see God write in real life. And the book of Ruth is a redemption story. It is a redemption story in the full sense of what that means. Not only for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and the specific people that we're studying about, but the book of Ruth is really a linchpin in God's grand redemptive uh, narrative that he's writing throughout all of history. And so uh, because it's been a week or two since we have talked through this together, let me just remind you what's gone on in the story of Ruth so far. I think chapter one is best summarized with this word, devastation. Um, the book of Ruth is a story about the chesed of God. It's, uh, that's a word we've brought up every week. If someone asked you at the end of this series, what's Ruth about? Ruth is ultimately about God's chesed. What is chesed? God, uh, chesed is God's covenant-keeping, faithful, loving kindness. And so it's so interesting that as Ruth begins a book about the covenant-keeping, faithful, loving kindness of God, um, we see a woman's life completely devastated. A famine displaces her from her home. She heads uh, from Bethlehem, Naomi this is, heads from Bethlehem to Moab. Her husband dies, both of her sons dies. She's in a foreign place. She has no male descendants. As uh, chapter one comes to a close, Naomi is hopeless and devastated, not knowing where to turn next. 
And in fact, um, as she comes back to Bethlehem, here's what we find her saying at the end of chapter one. She says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And you can hear the pain, you can hear the devastation, and that's where chapter one closes, uh, but then chapter two. And we said chapter two, you begin to see God at work in the midst of all this. You begin to see the son of the hope of the Hesed of God begin to rise on this story as Ruth comes back with her mother-in-law. And Ruth says, we have to have some food to eat. And she heads out to the fields to glean. And the writer of Ruth says it just so happens that she comes upon a field owned by a relative of Elimelech and Naomi, a guy by the name of Boaz. And Boaz begins to take on this informal role of provider and protector for Ruth and Naomi. And you begin to see God is at work here. God's up to something here. And it leads us to this like climactic moment of chapter three, where Ruth gets all dialed up. She heads to the threshing floor where Boaz is a winnowing the barley, it says. And basically at midnight, she makes a proposal to Boaz. And the proposal is, would you spread your wings over me? Boaz, would you marry me? Would you redeem us? Would you be that hopeful redeemer that we have been looking for? And Boaz says, yes. And in that yes, it feels like all of the story should come to a close. Ruth and Naomi, they have their redeemer, but Boaz says, okay, just one minor problem. There's a redeemer. There's this kinsman redeemer who is Uh, closer to you than me. We have to go ask him whether he is willing to redeem you or not. And that's where chapter three kind of leaves us hanging. But today, we're going to see this full story of redemption. Um, Today, we're going to see God bring this to complete redemption as we study the last chapter together. And so from chapter one to chapter four, here's kind of the banner Uh, over the message today. Here is what the sermon is all about. When situations seem hopeless or salvation seems impossible, it's merely the setting for God to write a redeeming story. The tone of the story from chapter one to chapter four is going to change dramatically. And the hope is that as we're here in 2020 in our contemporary lives, and we need to see God bring some hope out of hopelessness. We need to see God flip the script on some things. We need to see a a redeeming story being written in some people's lives and our life and some circumstances that we'll find great hope in this today. And so, um, With this book as a whole being about the Hesed of God, this is kind of the first point. I just want to encourage us to pause here and to spend some time, whether we're with families, we're with our small groups, or we just want to journal some things ourselves here. I I want us to talk about this. What are you learning about the Hesed of God? This, This huge theme we see all through Scripture that we maybe don't give enough thought time to in our contemporary life. What are you learning through the study of Ruth? And even what are you seeing in your own life practically about God's covenant-keeping, faithful, loving kindness? And so I just want to pause here and give you a chance uh, wherever you are 
to talk with the people you are watching with about how you are seeing and what you are learning about God's faithful, loving kindness to you in your life. So let's talk about that right now. So if you're taking notes today, uh, write this first point down. A hopeless situation is merely a setting for God's redeeming story. Uh, Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. I, I want to pause there and I want us to understand because kind of in our contemporary thinking, we often might miss what's going on here. The setting of this is at the city gate. Uh, the city gate was a place uh, where things like this happened, where legal transactions happened. The city gate was a place where the community did life. Why? I think practically speaking, uh, to state the obvious, the city gate was the place everyone uh, had to go out. The city gate was the place everyone came in. And so, uh, so much of the community life happened here. And so much of the legal transactions that took place within the community would happen here. And so Boaz heads down to the city gate. He knows this is where he would find that redeemer who's closer in line to redeeming Ruth than he is. And he spots him. He says, come on over. He takes 10 of the elders of the city and he says, hey, will you sit here as witnesses to this? And then Boaz delivers the news here. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, the Redeemer that Boaz is talking to says, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, oh, oh um, one thing, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you're also, uh, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, uh, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem redeem it. And so what Boaz does here is beautiful. And what I think the writer of Ruth is doing here is beautiful. Boaz says, hey, um, uh, you have a relative and they're in need of being redeemed. And Naomi's getting ready to sell the field and the redeemer's going, great, more land? Yeah, I want it. I'll redeem. And Boaz then goes, oh, by the way, uh, with this comes one of the son's widows, Ruth. Uh, do you still want to do the deal? And he goes, oh, hold on, that changes everything. Uh, the Redeemer here says, I can't have that affecting my inheritance. Basically, some of the long-range planning for my family and for my sons is impacted by that. And so the Redeemer relinquishes his rights of redemption to Boaz. And like, and if we were here on the set watching this, we'd be going crazy seeing how God has 
fully provided Boaz to be the redeemer we expected him to be all the way back in chapter 2. Verse 7, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer... So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And it's at this moment in the story that we know finally and fully Ruth and Naomi have been redeemed. Naomi is no longer left without the male descendant that she so desperately needed and was mourning back in chapter 1. God has truly brought hope from hopelessness. God has brought beauty from the devastation because a hopeless situation is merely a setting for God to write a redeeming story. And that's one of the things as we think about the book of Ruth personally in our lives that I hope we understand that if you've been at our church through this series or even if you're just watching for some reason here today, that we have a God who is able um, to do a complete and total turnaround in people's lives and specific situations that something that appears so hopeless Um, is not too far out of God's ability to bring hope into. Something that seems so far gone or someone that seems so far gone is not outside of God's power and his might and his love to bring hope and to bring healing and to bring restoration, to bring redemption back into. And so I don't know throughout this series where you have needed to see God work this turnaround, where you have needed to see the script flipped, where you have desperately been crying out to God to say, Lord, will you intervene? And will you redeem this? Will you buy it back for your glory and for the good of your people? But I, I want to guide us into a time here. Um, as family members, as small group members, to talk about these things. When's a time, let's encourage one another a bit, let's be filled with hope a bit, when's a time you have seen God completely flip the script of something? When's the time you've seen God bring hope out of hopelessness? And then kind of also in this time, let's bear each other's burdens. Let's talk together about things we have in our life that we need to see God infuse some hope into. Uh, Let's talk about where we're feeling hopeless on some things. And so I just want to guide us into a time right now of celebrating and encouraging one another of where we have seen God do this, and then sharing very honestly, transparently, um, maybe even with some brokenness, where we need to see God infuse some hope today. So take some time to discuss that together.
So the path is cleared now. Boaz has said, I will redeem. The other redeemer has stepped out of the way for this. And I, I want us to see now this like community celebration of the hope that God has brought into the life of Naomi, into the life of Ruth. Verse 11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. There's like this blessing from the elders that comes over this situation here. And then uh, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to, what's your Bible say? Then the women said to Naomi, this is a bit odd in our contemporary American mind, that as the book of Ruth comes to a close, the spotlight is on Naomi, and the spotlight stays on Naomi. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life. I want you to think back to what Naomi had said in chapter 1. I went out full. The Lord had emptied me. The Lord's hand is against me. Uh, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Uh, chapter 4 is bookending these things. Chapter 4 is saying, you have a redeemer now. This male child, this perpetuating descendant. Uh, you have one who will be to you a restorer of life. Uh, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, like the ultimate blessing in that day, as far as um, children, uh, seven sons was this sign of like total completion. Um, uh, ultimate blessing to perpetuate your name. And the writer says, the women say to Naomi, you have a daughter-in-law who is of more value to you than seven sons ever could have been. Your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And so, uh, ladies, I want you to kind of picture this. Um, if you've ever had a baby, um, you're in the hospital room. Your mother-in-law comes in, she takes the child, she lays the child on her lap. All of her friends come in and they surround your mother-in-law and they say, congratulations, you've had a baby. In our day and age, you would be laying in the hospital bed going, um, no, I had a baby and that's my son. And you even see here, there's almost this corporate reality to how this son was named by Naomi and the women of the town here. What is going on here? Uh, what's going on here is that for Naomi, this, this son to Ruth represents um, 
hope to her, represents, as the scriptures say, a restorer of life to her, represents a redeemer to her. And what you see here is Ruth continuing this beautiful chesed towards her mother-in-law. Yes, this is Ruth's son. Yes, Ruth and Boaz for sure would have had um, the influence in what the son's name is. But there's a sharing in this with Naomi. There's a sharing in this of even the corporate community of the women of the town here because of what God has done here for Naomi to bring hope out of her devastation again. It's actually a beautiful, beautiful picture of Ruth's enduring love to her mother-in-law. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, 17. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Look at how the book of Ruth ends. These are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. The end of the book of Ruth. You have this linking, this linchpin of all of redemptive history from Perez. Who was Perez? We were told earlier in this chapter who Perez was. Verse 12, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Um, from this line would come the lion of the tribe of Judah, King Jesus, Savior Jesus. You have in the book of Ruth this linchpin from Judah and Tamar to the genealogy leading to King David. From King David would come the root of Jesse, the greater king, King Jesus. The book of Ruth starts with a family leaving Bethlehem, heading into a foreign land. Coming back into Bethlehem, uh, this time you have this Moabite woman, Ruth, coming with her mother-in-law. From there, you see the birth of a son, Obed. Uh, you see from Obed comes Jesse, and from Jesse comes David, and from David comes Jesus. Born in Bethlehem one day would come the Savior of the world. And as you look at God's redemptive plan throughout all of history, would we have ever written into the script something like this? Would we have ever written into the script a savior, a king who would need to go to a cross and to shed his own blood that we would be saved from sin? Out of impossible situations, God is working salvation. And that's kind of the, just the second thing I want you to write down coming out of the message today is when salvation seems impossible, it's an opportunity for God to show that he is mighty to save. The book of Ruth is this beautiful reminder that God has loved his people so much that he has gone to great ends in history, like we see here in this book, and today has gone to great ends to be mighty to save. And so in kind of these final moments, I just want to encourage a couple things. 
Uh, if you are um, at a point in your life where you are going, you know, as I think about this whole idea of salvation seeming impossible, I feel like salvation seems impossible for me. Um, I feel like I've done things that there's no way God would, even if he was powerful enough to save me from, doesn't want to save me from. I feel like I've gone too far. I just feel like I'm too far down the road. I just want to look at you and say, I don't know how God has led you to watch this sermon here today, this teaching through the book of Ruth. But our God is mighty to save. And there is no one who is too far gone, who has walked too far down the road, who is impossible for the Lord to save. Jesus went to a cross and he shed his blood. And it's his blood that leads to the redemption of all people. And the Bible tells you that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I just would look at you and say, why not in these moments here, in a living room, in your dorm room, watching in your apartment, wherever you are, why not? bow your knee and come to a place of saying, I really believe today that God is mighty to save. And then that he's not only powerful enough to save me, that that's not impossible for him, but that he delights to save me. That you would turn your life from sin and from self to the Savior Jesus today. And if you're watching this to um, you're with a group of other people I, I want to encourage in these closing minutes of our study in the book of Ruth as we see God's grand redemptive narrative he's painting here how he's linked us from Judah how he showed us how this Obed would lead to David and how we know the line of David leads to Christ as we've watched the greatly unique way in which God has done this I, I just want us to transparently share um who in your life does it look like from a human perspective is just impossible to save? Like they would never turn to Christ. And in this time, let's take some time to pray by name for those people in each other's lives. Let's bring them before the Lord. Let's ask the one who is mighty to save to draw these people close to them, to reveal himself mightily to them and that they would surrender, making Jesus the Lord of their life. And so in these final moments, would you together just share those people you're burdened for? And let's, in prayer, close our time in prayer, lifting these people, lifting these names before the Lord for him to draw them to himself. The book of Ruth is a book about God's said. It's about his covenant-keeping, faithful, loving-kindness. There is nothing that we can walk through in life that is too hopeless for him to not bring hope into. There's nothing that is too far gone for him to not work mightily in. And the book of Ruth teaches us mostly how God is, was always orchestrating the events of his redemptive plan, redemptive history, to the culmination of the greatest king to ever be born, King Jesus, the Savior of the world. Uh, church family, I pray that you will be encouraged by that today. I pray you've been encouraged by this study. And as you close with some time in prayer as a group, we want you to know that you are loved and you are sent. Have a great week.